don't match that metronome because you'll end up in a neglect system. So when you feel like you're an intrusion to someone because they're in a blue state and you want to go interact, the worst thing you could do would be to match their blue state and go parallel. They need you to come get them. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. This is a podcast that breaks down interpersonal science into practical and understandable tidbits. And as you listen, I can just imagine little light bulbs of insight appearing above your head. Absolutely. You're going to be surprised and touched at what you learn about yourself as you get more accurate and in-depth view of your mind and your heart and as you figure out those close to you. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey, thank you so much for hitting play on this podcast. This is Sue Marriott, and normally I'm here with my co-host, Ann Kelly, but unfortunately she cannot make it today. And we put our heads together and decided to go ahead and for me to go ahead and pop on and do this episode without her because we wanted to end the year by responding to listeners' questions. Hi. First of all, thank you for your podcast. I'm listening in from Berlin, Germany, and find them very insightful. I've just finished listening to the episode about mentalizing uh, prior to that, I had listened to your talk about attachment styles. Well, here's my question. If someone is so far on the blue spectrum, they are completely out of touch with emotions and needs in intimate relationships, the needs of themselves and the emotions of themselves and of others, trying to think of what the other person feels or staying curious seems almost impossible it feels like mentalizing is too much to ask from that person. Is there something of an approach you can recommend prior to mentalizing to basically make it even possible? I hope my question made sense. And thank you very much for your podcast. Bye. Pretty good, huh? <laughs> so thank you for sending that really great question in. And it's going to kind of link together with the second question. But I thought we would start with this one. So let's talk a little bit about mentalizing just in general. So the gist of the question is, if mentalizing is so important, which requires us to be able to read our bodies and the intentions of others, and if somebody lands on the blue side of the spectrum, or really any of the insecure states, but in this question, it was specifically about the blue, and I can understand why, because it is where we you know, are more in our head and not in touch with our body, which then therefore would may impair us to be able to read people. As a matter of fact, from the episode that we produced last, we even talked about on the blue side that we miss positive cues from other people and social interaction is less pleasurable. So she's right. And then we're saying it's important to mentalize. So how do those two things go together? First of all, in response to that, it's so weird to not be able to have a conversation with Anne. <laughs> This would be so much more natural, but I'm just going to have a conversation with you directly. So forgive me if I'm just not used to a solo episode, but you know, mentalizing, what is it? Just very quick review, just in case you're a new listener. Basically, it's the way we're born. We're natural mind readers, and that's actually really true. Mentalizing is something that happens usually without much thought. It's the spontaneous sense that we have of ourselves and others. And it's our sense of what someone's actions mean based on their mental state, you know, their reasons, their feelings, their needs, their desires, their beliefs. 
it's so automatic that it usually goes on under our consciousness, outside of our consciousness. And it's always dynamic. So for example, just think about conversations and turn taking. In turn taking, you know, you're reading the other person when they're ready to speak, you're reading, there's just a natural ebb and flow. And somehow just implicitly, we know how to do that. We can see the mind of the other person. And the other person can see our mind as well. And all of this is mostly going on without us even having to think about it. And one of the things about attachment disturbances and really psychopath, a lot of psychopathology in general is that we basically, the mentalizing function is shut down. It's either not developed or we've taken it offline. Now, I wanted to give you some examples. You can also consciously mentalize. Conscious mentalization is where we intend to think about our thinking. Conscious mentalizing would be something like, I sign up and pay for Weight Watchers online and never record a point. <laughs> and then my the mentalization part of it would be me asking myself, what is going on? Now, why would I do something that's stupid to pay for a service and then literally like almost be defiant to it? <laughs> I imagine many of you can relate to this. But the part that I'm referring to is that when we actually think like, oh, now why would I do that? That's the mentalizing. We can do that, of course, to other people. And again, we do it naturally, like nodding sympathetically, that kind of thing. It's just basically we're in sync and we're in flow. So the problem is that when we, let's just go to the question directly, on the blue side of things, a lot of that is shut down. Like I said, we misread things. And so our sense of self, we're kind of robbed of that capacity to mentalize. So if you can think about it, it's actually one of the most fulfilling and basic experience as a human being, which is feeling felt, feeling seen, like feeling understood. It's a right brain to right brain interaction where there's resonance. So sometimes I can say I'm listening, but I'm, I'm not conveying that I'm listening, if that makes sense. So you're nodding, I hope, <laughs> or like a social smile versus a real smile that we can intuit, we can feel the intention of the other person. We know the difference when someone's social smiling and, we, and it's very easy to spot a natural smile. And guess what happens when we see a natural smile? You often smile with them and you don't think about it. It's contagious. That's neural Wi-Fi. It involves mirror neurons, which weirdly we haven't talked a lot about and I'm going to try not to get distracted and go into that. But the gist of it is our neurons inside our mind fire as if we're doing the action that we're seeing, if it's an intentional action of someone close to us. So that's why the person smiling, you end up smiling with them and without even being aware of it. You know, facial expressions either, even often we match them and we're not aware of it. It's a very, very crucial, critical part of health and flexibility and mental stamina and resilience. And it's really the key to self-regulation and sort of directing our self-actions. Okay, so why am I going on and on about mentalizing? So I hope that you kind of get the sense of it. And this is going to set us up for, again, the rest of this question and the second question, which is that it basically, Dan Siegel calls it mindsight. Peter Fonagy talks about reflective function. I mentioned mirror neurons. That's Marco Iacobani. He's the one who brought us that. It's worth its own conversation. All of these things come into play with being able to feel connected both to other people, but also feeling ourselves inside of them. That's part of how it works. It gives us the capacity to make meaning out of adversity. It gives us the capacity to like keep a positive outlook, you know, to get up and do things that we need to do. It gives us capacity to accept things that we don't love instead of just going with the feeling. We can hold the bigger picture and 
understand why something happened and help us move through our own, you know, that's part of the self-regulation. So basically without mentalizing, we aren't seeing reality as it is. To see reality right, we must be able to play with imagination, see alternatives, perspective take, test out our ideas about what's happening, ask questions, basically not operate on fixed assumptions. Now you can begin to hear now that when I'm saying those kinds of things, that's when we move up and down the spectrum from this green balanced left-right hemisphere, body-mind connection, feelings and emotions and thought all integrated and, and kind of flexibly balanced. As we move out of that, our caller was exactly right. We begin to lose that capacity and it goes offline. So the question was about what do we do about that? And it's important to appreciate that while our brain is designed for mentalizing, it's also designed to turn off mentalizing in response to danger. Basically, when fight flight is turned on, so you've heard about it, like the mammalian system, the limbic system, the amygdala, the threat response, any of those that basically that begins to turn off mentalizing. And if you've ever seen Dan Siegel's hand model of the brain, which we should make available to you on our show notes, we will then basically it inhibits mentalizing. What that whole hand model is talking about is that when we flip our lid, when we lose contact with our higher functioning, then we've lost the capacity to mentalize. And to be more nuanced about this, one of the things that's characteristic of somebody who is a, tends to live in a more dismissing, avoidant state, they have learned to adapt and to survive by exactly shutting down some of that mentalization process, by not reading other people's thoughts and feelings. It could be dangerous to read. When you're young and something, somebody's scary that you're dependent upon or somebody's not available, you can't grok that. It's not, it wouldn't be a good thing to grok. So instead what you do unconsciously is you just don't need it. You just cut off the need. It's not like that you need it and then give it up so that a lot of times there's not even a grieving process. There's not a memory of losing freedom or flow or play. It just hasn't been. And this is only because it happens so early. It's not true that someone is born that way when it comes to attachment. It's experience created. So the whole journey of beginning to learn how to mentalize, to begin to get curious, and this again goes back to the question, moving from blue to green has to do with first weirdly feeling distress, beginning to even become aware of our own body states. So it would start internally often, because we're not that interested in the people's minds out there because we're really devaluing our own minds. So why would we be curious about someone else's? Everything is more task-oriented, in fact. And, you know, I told you I love you. When that changes, I will let you know. I'm not sure why you need to hear it so often. You know, <laughs> that's actually a real quote from someone and not a client or anything like that. But it was a friend of mine's partner that, guess what, they're no longer together. But... <laughs> But that is how it sounds. And the, he meant it, right? You don't understand it. So the mentalization is shut down. So let me just speed this up a little bit, which is to, we've got to turn that on. And a lot of times, this is where professional help sometimes need to come in. But just even beginning to do body scans, it brings up another concept of curiosity and collaboration. And the three pillars model with David Elliott and Dan Brown, fantastic book will also be in our show notes. They have put forth this model of the three pillars of 
uh, secure attachment and, and treating secure attachment. So one of them certainly is mindsight, but the, another big one that people often miss and we haven't talked enough about is this notion of collaboration. So if there is a person that is blue that is listening to this podcast, you're already collaborating. It means you're like, haven't cut it off already and I rolled and said, this is stupid and said, you're like, okay, there, maybe there's something in here for me that I can learn about and I can begin to open my mind to something. So you're already beginning with the engagement of collaboration. And when that collaboration is safe and you're interested, you know, you begin to like notice an absence, which is good. When you begin to even notice the absence, then there's distress can come with distress, then comes like a more of an opening of I need help. So that's one of the ways is that we want to begin to, to really look internal. You know, somebody's not sitting in my office because they're doing great. Although what will happen is it's almost as if when somebody's really in a blue state or just lives in the blue area, in other words, is more habitually and probably necessarily from a historical standpoint in a dismissing state. Sometimes I feel like I've gone and knocked on their door and interrupted them because it's, it's kind of like there's a sense of, okay, I'm here, you know, <laughs> almost like I did it to them. Not that they called me for an appointment and are paying for an appointment. They can't help that. And again, I should say we can't help that. When we're in a dismissing state, it's just pervasive. And so moving that, so even that, so I might point out, I might even say that out loud. Oh, it almost feels like I've come and interrupted you at work. And the reason for that, I want to point that out to someone, is to help them become aware of the way in which they are devaluing and diminishing their own need. And even the capacity for help, they're diminishing both of us in doing that. And that will often get people interested and begin to turn on a few of those light bulbs that sometimes I talk about. Oh, yeah, why would I set an appointment and come to therapy and then be annoyed, <laughs> annoyed with the therapy, which probably is a rule that always happens. But in other words, when you begin to wonder about it, that's the beginning of turning it back on. Another thing, if you're with somebody who their mentalization is either temporarily shut off or that they had to learn it very young and so they kind of live in that area, the most important thing is not to shame them for that. This isn't a conscious willful act. It's not a aggressive act. A lot of times it gets misinterpreted as aggression the kind that I'm talking about that's really attachment-based or that somebody is living, it's actually a state of neglect, but they feel like that it is that they're fine and that everything's fine. So we can begin to understand why it's challenging to turn that on for somebody in the blue state. That's why the question was focused on that side of the continuum. So we want to work on the collaborative behavior, like beginning to get them interested, catching inconsistencies in their own behavior, beginning to notice, like in couples, for example, I'll say one person will be talking and the other person might be like looking out the window. And so I'll ask the person talking, what is Jack thinking or whoever it is? And then I'll get that person to say, Jack is thinking he wants to be out of here or whatever it is that they think. And then Jack can say, no, no, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm just waiting for you to finish. And see, now I'll, now we've got this engagement. But we first had to go get him by having him hear how he was coming across, which he wasn't aware of. Those small things like that can begin to draw the other person in in a non-threatening way. No shame, no blame. We want to do soft tosses, almost do more of a seduction so that they can feel that it's safe to begin to be curious and to begin to want to know. The other thing, though, is I would say is don't match that metronome because you'll end up in a neglect system. So when you feel like you're an intrusion to someone because they're in a blue state and you want to go interact, the worst thing you could do would be to match their blue state and go parallel. They need you to come get them. 
And if you're the blue one that someone has sent this to you, (laughs) trust me, this is better for you to be more socially engaged than to be on your high horse or (laughs) my high horse. Believe me, I have a very Clydesdale horse or that you're pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. and You don't need anybody. It makes us ill. It's bad for our mental health. It's bad for our physical health. It's terrible for cardiac stress, cortisol, not to mention that we come across as rather unpleasant. (laughs) If you will let yourself, you'll feel if you look around, people have an ease about them and a peace that we may be missing when we're on this side of things. But notice that that we had to get people to actually look around and begin to notice. So all of those things have to do with turning on mentalization and trying to engage the cooperative behaviors. I know that this isn't going to solve things for folks, this one podcast, but my hope is, is that you can begin to have an urge to move from certainty to curiosity, move from certainty to curiosity. That's a big one. I'm going to play the second question. Hello, my name is Ivy. I'm a big fan of your podcast for a year now. You have helped me so much with my studies and my relationship. I would like to ask a question, which is how to deal with regression and attachment, especially when we are facing frustrating times and emotions get hyped up, how to safeguard and not to steer into deep dark corner of your personal attachment, which is making the relationship at risk, how to secure yourself or your partner. Thank you. Thank you, Ivy. Excellent question that you can feel goes with the question before. So I hope that you already have felt me beginning to address this. But I love how she said it. You know, how do we not steer into the deep, dark hole (laughs) of our early experiences? And she's talking about regression. And regression is a whole interesting subject in general. So very quickly, from a psychoanalytic standpoint, regression, think of Freud, is seen differently than I think There's updated models, I think, now of regression. Regression was seen as defense. It was seen as kind of regressing to a child's state. It was an important part of the therapy and of the treatment and of people's development is that we go forward and then we might need to regress. But I absolutely know that in the psychoanalytic tradition, historically, at least old ways, it was seen as a problem. It was seen as resistance often. It can be negatively interpreted. Instead, these days, or at least I'll just say the way that I work with it, and I think uh, more interpersonal therapists and people that are attachment-focused work with it this way, is it really is just, it's not defiance. It's biological. So regression going from having access to our higher minds and our higher prefrontal cortex and our orbifrontal cortex and all the lovely things that happen up there in that flexible, integrated place to being dysregulated and coming down either through threat because of threat. It's usually threat that will turn off all the lights above it. You know, unfortunately, when the limbic system comes on, the fight flight system comes on, then the mentalizing and all of our good qualities, good human compassionate qualities can get lost. So what we want to do is we want to begin to really notice the signs in ourselves that we are regressing. And, you know, it's obviously easier to prevent one than it is to get out of the ditch once we're in the ditch. But we want to map it, we want to create a mental map of our own. Sometimes I say, you know, you want to know where your bones are buried. (laughs) So we might not can stop going into the hole. But if we can begin to recognize, oh, when I'm in that place, these are my automatic negative thoughts. They don't really want to be here. They never wanted me to really come around. Oh, well, of course they aren't. You know, the first chance they get, they leave. 
Like we begin to tell these stories that are going to be very familiar, old stories, ghost stories. There are implicit experience growing up that we kind of project outward and it makes us feel more threat. It's not a good place to go. We aren't curious anymore. We've lost that capacity to consider other options. So if you begin to feel yourself getting certain, uh, getting rigid, or even like take a picture of your body, and when that bot, when your body begins to feel in these familiar shutdown places, the truth is we don't just land there. There is a process of us getting there. Sometimes it's very quick, but other times we can actually slow it down. And we can begin to feel like, I'm not a big skier, but I, I always picture this, you know, you want the warning flags before you go off the mountain. And again, this is usually, it's helpful to do this collaboratively. And never do we say you have to have therapy on this podcast, for sure. Now, learning to mentalize for the first time, that might take a bit more. I mean, that's hard work and it's worthwhile work. What she's talking about in this question is a little different, which is actually about, I already know how to do it. I can be in a secure place, but I can at times regress. So you want to begin to learn what your triggers are. And this is really good for you to ask close people to you so that this is a collaborative process. I was saying that you don't need necessarily professional therapy, but you do need somebody that knows you and that's engaged and that would be willing to work with you on this about what are observations that they've had that they haven't necessarily told you. And you want to map the lay of the land. So for example, if you begin to speak more quickly, if your heart's racing, if you feel impatient, if you feel done to, like if you feel victimized, these are things that become more absolute. It's hard to turn it back on. It, like even if you can just begin to have, uh, so I've got several kids, but two boys and Legos was a big part of our growing up. And I always think of that mast on the ship and uh, was it the crow's nest on the ship? And there's a little guy that little Lego guy that stands in there with his binoculars and he can kind of look all the way around and say, land ho. Well, that's what we want inside of us. <laughs> you might need your own metaphor, but <laughs> I have a Lego man with binoculars looking all around. And now when you're on the ship, you're just in the rocky ocean, right? Like it's just happening to you. But it's almost like if you can get a third, so you have this experience but if we can pop up and notice what's happening to us, that already is engaging the higher cortex. You might not change it yet. You're still going to be in the rocky waters, but you're going to get your bearings. You're going to say, oh, this is a really strong reaction that I'm having. It doesn't stop the reaction, but now you're beginning to, you know, the old name it to tame it. So you want to look for patterns. You want to set up warning flags. You know, for a while early in my journey, I can be assertive and things like that, but I didn't know that sometimes I would be intimidating or kind of hard to counter. And I could only see what that was happening when I saw people begin to kind of go away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're not actually, this is my insight. I could feel that I was losing them. And what I just sort of memorized to myself is that I was probably taking up a little too much space. I was leaning forward. I was like, that wasn't just somebody being a wuss. <laughs> that's the clinical term. It was actually, that's feedback for me. And so it would help me slow down. I would, I would actually literally pull the energy to my spine and my back, uh, maybe even leaning back a little bit to allow more space in my chest. I would be sure to turn on my listening. I just sort of learned. I, I didn't feel it myself. I felt like I was okay. I didn't feel upregulated. But I could see in other people that I was becoming... 
you know, it was a little bit up and it was causing something interpersonally. So that's a, it's a real detailed, um, nuanced thing, but I even sometimes, you know, in session and sometimes like that, I have to think if I'm being too direct or active that I, sometimes I don't know it until I can see it in the other person. And if I hadn't sort of already learned, oh, you know, I need to like take a breath. I need to pause. I need to really do a quick body scan and notice what's happening for me that I'm getting a little, I'm a little bit getting aroused. I'm a little bit going up the temperature gauge, not mad or anything, but just my activity levels up and, it, and there's something happening that's not matching. So I want you to do that right now and just think about some of those things that you could set up as your warning flags, as you're skiing around life, things that where you're getting close to the edge. Also, honestly, even when you fall over the edge, we want to install ladders so you can crawl back up. <laughs> so all of that might sound crazy. It's so metaphorical. It sounds a little crazy, but those of you that can get with that might know what I mean. And I actually want you to really think about your own emotional experience when you've lost it go back and do a debriefing about what your thoughts were what your automatic thoughts were what story you were filling in what was your implicit experience you know how is that familiar to your history and even if it's not just when do you the channel's right but the volume's too high when are you dysregulated what does that to you and be curious about it and use your mindset use your collaboration Use a loving presence, a collaborative other inside yourself, a secure relationship with yourself and with other people to really help it be safe enough for you to do this exploration. Now, for those of you that all this metaphorical skiing and things like that is hard to grasp, let me just say this, that when you get upset or if you have a fight and you want to look for your own dysregulation, because when we're more dysregulated, we overvalue ourselves. We think we're doing better than we are. And we think we're nicer than we are. We think we're clearer than we are. And we think we're right. So just know that you're going to have that bias. If you can not think those things, you're actually probably pretty high up in your spinal cord, you know, because you're able to consider and not know and wonder. That's a good place to be. That is a secure place. You know, well, I think this, that you blah, 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 blah. But maybe not. What is your experience? That is the balanced, integrated green. When we lose that, which is, this is happening, I know it, and you can't tell me otherwise, that is not an integrated green. So that's going to become a flag. Then I'm going to, uh, my little flagpole that says, it's just a warning. It's like, huh, pay attention, be curious. Now, when last thought about working with someone else, you know, we know when we sit with somebody and we live with someone or we've been friends with someone for a long time or family, or even close coworkers, you know, we know stuff about them that they don't even know. We know some of their tells. <laughs> we know some of their nonverbals and what it means. We might not even know that we know stuff that they don't know, but I promise you, you do. And so if you really turn on your empathy and your heart and your laser of love to the other person and can be curious and open, you're going to be able to help them as they begin to get off track, whether it be their pace speeding up or or you can begin to see them deflate. We haven't talked about that side of things, the parasympathetic system. But if you see deflation, if you see the eyes down, if you see all of the signs of the shutting down, the the head turned away a little bit, you know, you're losing them. If, as you begin to lose them, that is when they need you to come help them engage because they probably don't even yet know it. And so 
if you were to slow down, I've said this example before, but I had this great uh, co-therapist in a group that I used to do that would say, Sue, I'm pretty sure I'm making you defensive. I must, it must be how I'm saying it. Can you, like he totally blamed himself. It was so masterful because immediately I would say, oh no, no, you're not making me defensive, which, but he was telling me that I was being defensive in a way that made me not defensive. You know what I'm saying? And then I was like, oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're not making me defensive. I'm sorry. You know, like it really engaged. Okay, now I'm going to go back to a collaborative state. But we have to have that interactive, caring presence to be able to do a lot of this. It does not have to be professional. And you can do a lot on your own. Journaling is one of the best things in the world that you can do to begin to make your map and create your lay of the land of what makes you tick and then what makes you explode (laughs) or what makes you purr, you know what I mean, versus growl. And that's what you just get curious about it. I want you to actually really think about this, talk with somebody about it, write about it. I want to even invite you to dream about it. What are some of your signs? Learn them, be curious about them. If you do this exercise, you're already engaged in collaborative behavior mindset. And if you do it with someone else, you're already even hitting that third pillar. It's not exactly how they talk about it with a third pillar, but basically relational, safe relationships where that we can change our implicit experience. This feels so weird to not have the back and forth. Uh, I hope that you don't feel talked at because I certainly don't mean to. Let us know what you think of this kind of episode where we bring the questions in and then elaborate on them. I hope that it is useful to you. And I especially hope that you are having exactly the right amount of stimulation or peace (laughs) and quiet that you need to rejuvenate over these holiday period. I'm missing my co-host, Ann Kelly, so shout out to her. This would have gone much more smoothly with you, Um, but it's also fun to just be able to get the thoughts out there. Okay, hope you enjoyed it. We're going to keep things coming at you, and uh, the biggest thing right now, if you want to support us, if you like this and you want more, trying to figure out some ways to get some, because this has been a labor of love and it's now a labor of debt. So we've got to figure out some ways to um, pay for some of this fun stuff. So we'll probably, we've got some courses coming up, uh, webinar, things like that. It's just, we can't clone ourselves. We have a lot more ideas than we are able to actually do yet, or at least do quickly. So we are on it. There's lots of cool announcements that we could make at some point, but we're, I don't want to say it until we're sure. But in the meantime, you could support us by rating and reviewing us and sharing this podcast, getting other subscribers, help people learn how to podcast. A lot of people that might like this show aren't going to be podcast listeners. They might be a little older or they might be, you know, who knows? It's not just young people. So, you know, it's already usually installed on their phone. You just, you know, grab their phone, point it out, pull up the app, not grab it, but, you know, help them open up the app, whether it be uh, Android or Apple, whatever the phone is, there's a app that comes on the phone. You open it up and then you search for whatever the podcast is that you want them to listen to. But for in this case, you search for Therapist Uncensored, you hit subscribe and then boom, it's done. And now now they're going to be able to do it and find a bunch of other really cool podcasts as well. So that's the biggest thing. And then the second, or actually what should be the first, is we really want you to keep leaving these voicemails and these questions because it really generates thought and it helps us cover stuff that either we weren't clear about or that we need to go back to. Or heck, a lot of people are just, you know, they haven't done the whole cumulative experience. So last thought, 
one of the things we're doing with these questions is we it's it's helping us form our course. It's helping us have a sense of what our audience is interested in hearing. And it also gives us a sense of kind of are we talking uh, over your head? Are we boring you and not giving you enough stimulation? All of that is really helpful feedback for us. And it's why we're going to do the advanced course because we can't do deep dives all the time on these short format podcasts that are for everybody, but people that are very interested and have this down and want more, that's who that's who we're speaking to about some of these courses and webinars that we'll be doing. So we'd especially like to hear from y'all that want more about what it is that you want. Okay. Again, I feel really weird <laughs> just talking directly at you, but um, thank you so much. It means that you've hung in. Hopefully you got value from this. And again, uh, happy holidays. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.